short a man uh, today, but we have a special guest uh, helping to to fill in. We've got Jake Belice joining us today, and we're excited about it. Jake, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great. Really excited to have you on. Um, we got Nick here as well. Keith, um, unfortunately, unable to join us. Um, sick kids, man. That's like the worst thing. I don't have kids, but it's like whenever you got one of you guys is talking about your kid not feeling well, it's like I feel it, you know? Yeah, so. it's the absolute worst thing, like instant panic and terror, but it should be all right. Uh, Keith's looking after his little girl tonight and he'll be back for the next show. Yeah, we'll we send our best to, to Josie and and Keith and Mal, yeah. who are probably going to have a, a worse night. <laughs> yeah, so. they're probably doing worse than Josie. So, yeah. Um, but we're excited to have Jake, um, especially because we've got so many great goaltending um, storylines to, to talk about. Um, it, it's been quite a year goaltending wise for the Leafs and Jack Campbell has just set some records the longest win streak by a goaltender in franchise history um, he also matched Carey Price's NHL record for the longest win streak to start a season 10-0 um, what a start it's been and um, at least are 5-0 since last time we recorded as well it's it's been a, a completely different team it seems like with with Campbell in the net and um Jake I, I know that you are um you know as excited as we are to see Campbell kind of take the reins here after you know the struggles we've seen from Anderson all season I am yeah and you know at the start of uh the stint with Campbell in the Leafs last year when they traded for him he looked like he could be a guy who could take over um but it wasn't like it is this year. Like in the last 10 games, his team looks different in front of Campbell than they do in front of Fred. Uh, they look different in front of him than they look in front of Hutchison. It's a, it's a confident group. You can tell that they like playing with them. And the thing about Campbell is that, and I know we'll get into this um, later, but the thing about Campbell is that he just plays this relaxed, laid back game. He looks so easy in the net. He moves smooth. He doesn't look like he's tense. And for a team like the Maple Leafs that have, I imagine, some modicum of PTSD with goaltending, I think that's really important. I think it's important for the character of the team. I think it's important for Campbell himself. So uh, I'm excited, man. I mean, I'm as excited about Campbell as I've been about a Maple Leafs goalie since Belfour in like 2003. That's uh, that's a, that's that's tough, tough uh, shrift for JS Albin. Uh, in, in 2006 <laughs> yeah, right. but uh, yeah right. i know what you mean <laughs> yeah not exactly a high bar to clear since the eagle was around but yeah yeah no it's been a it's been a wash since the uh the good old days but at the very least this is the first time that i mean reimer kind of did it right with reimer mania and everything like he kind of took over for a 10 game stint and looked really good but it was a little bit different like the the way that they operate in the net i mean reimer's a good goalie and he definitely has He's had some staying power, but Campbell just looks like more of a starting goalie, if that makes sense. He presents himself as more of a starting goalie. He looks like a guy that warranted being drafted in the first round all those years ago. And it, everyone talks about how much longer it takes goaltenders to you know reach that, the peak of their careers. And I think Campbell's definitely been like an extreme case. It, one of those guys like Darcy Kemper that we've referenced in the past who – it's taken all the way into his late 20s for him to, to finally realize this potential, but he certainly looks like a true number one goaltender right now. And I, I just, for all the good that Freddie has done with this team during his tenure here, I, I just don't know how anyone is still talking about this being his net to lose once he comes back from the injury he's dealing with right now. Yeah. And I think generally the, 
the threads kind of changed. Like I think people are discussing more that, that the net is Campbell's now. And it's important that that's happening because for him to know that it's his to lose is it gives him a confidence that you can't really get uh, when you know that you're the backup and when you know that you can't play into the starters crease. Uh, but yeah, something that you said that I think matters quite a bit is, is goaltending arcs are, are not like player arcs, like player arcs. I mean, we should expect that a player would get better by, uh, you know, until the, to the age of like 26 or 27 and then start to decline. But with goaltenders, that's not always the case. And, you know, guys like, uh, I mean, Hashik didn't start until he was, I think he was 25 or maybe 26 his first year. Um, you know, guys like him, Tim Thomas, some of the best all time goalies or goalies who had some of the best stints. Those guys started well into their 20s, sometimes even into their 30s. And it's just because goaltending is such a solitary position. It's like, you know, 50, 60% mental game and, and knowing your body, you know, moving around comfortably. And so for some goalies who are more athletic guys, guys like Jonathan Quick, they rely on their body more. They're not great thinkers of the game. You'll see them start to tail off. It's not the same for guys who are like field goalies, right? Guys who think the game a little bit more. Uh, a lot of the time, those guys come in you know later in their career and they can be dominant later into their career that like you mentioned like you can see resurgences in guys like Dubnik um, who have gone through changes in style but can bring their mental game up to where it wasn't before yeah and and Jake you kind of touched on some stuff there that you know I want to get to over the course of of uh, the episode but um one of them being um, like the athletic obviously had a, a piece recently. I'm sure you, you guys both checked that out on, on Campbell, um, you know, talking about um, just kind of his journey to, to, to this point. And Nick, you mentioned obviously a high pick, highly touted and not just a first round pick, but like a guy who was legitimately looked at as like the next like generational guy, you know, the way that, that mm-hmm. people tend to, when there's a guy who is, you know, a, a top half of the first round goaltender, like price, or like flurry back in the day when you know it was really out of control and and he had that expectation of himself coming in where he was so upset to get sent down by Dallas that first time thinking he was just going to come in and be that next guy who's a starter at 20 and and like you said Jake like it doesn't work out like that but it's it's funny how um, things kind of play out we talked about it a little bit with Galchenyuk I think on our last episode like the way that fourth liners end up being guys you you know who were highly touted and then just kind of settled into you know depth roles eventually and with goaltenders it's it's so um non-linear right the the way that you would expect a guy to to kind of pan out eventually and it's like if if this is the guy you know having read that piece and 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 thinking like was he overthinking it was he you know trying to do too much for for a few years and and is he now kind of back to that that you know stage that people thought he was going to get to and jesus wouldn't it be nice if the leafs were the beneficiary of that Mm -hmm. for once right yeah yeah it feels like that never happens in toronto (laughs) like every every superstar in toronto is a guy that was meant to be a superstar and every guy that might be who shouldn't have been like does not pan out you know we never get the like sixth round pick who turns into zetterberg that just doesn't happen so to, to finally have something like campbell coming out here and being a starter like a bona fide starter that would be great and i mean we'll talk about injuries obviously injuries are a concern but in terms of the mental game um you know i think i think that 
there were a couple of studies a number of years ago that showed that when somebody's under stress or, or dealing with anxiety, like it can drop their um, IQ by 10 to 15 percentage points, right? We know that anxiety affects the nervous system in a way that's it's hard to quantify, but basically we become slower, we become less reactive. Um, when you're in fight or flight all the time, and when you're constantly overthinking things, it's very difficult to be yourself to feel relaxed in the space that you're moving in. And so for Campbell, I think that he was just dealing with a lot of anxiety with, you know, anxiety on his, on his performances, um, on his failures, because he had a lot of them early. Um, and I think that's probably over. I think that now he knows what he can be and he's comfortable in his skin and that that's turned him into a different goalie than he was with Dallas. Yeah. And how much foresight do you think was involved in the trade? Because at the time it, it seemed like Dubas was more so just looking to address the goaltending depth and have somebody behind Anderson that was a little more reliable than the performances they were getting from Hutchinson at the time. But do you think that even back then when the trade was made, was there any thought put into the fact that Campbell could end up being the guy that would secede Anderson when his time came to an end in Toronto? Yeah, well, so we there were rumors you know, there were murmurs last year coming into this season that the Leafs had thought that maybe they had something in Campbell. And so I assume that it wasn't something that occurred over, you know, like a three month period. I, I don't think that they were convinced in three months where only one of them had hockey um, that Campbell was a starting talent. I think they probably saw that in him before. You know, Kyle um, has a bit of a tendency to take on reclamation projects, like we're seeing it right now with Galchenyuk, who you guys mentioned. I think that they didn't see this as a reclamation project. I would guess that what they saw this as was a guy who uh, just didn't have the opportunity on the second team where he really came into his own with, with his coach Emu and that uh, he would have had a better opportunity with the Maple Leafs to flourish if something were to happen to Fred. And then with all of the rumors that we did here, like about them really liking Campbell, about them considering trading Fred, like I, you know, one plus one is two. And what I'm guessing at here is that they probably thought this was a possibility. Yeah. And getting back to just the mental side of things for a second, building off of that and talking about how much Campbell's mental game has evolved to help get him to the point he's at now. Do you think that that has been a great factor in Freddie's decline? Just knowing that he he seems like the kind of guy that he doesn't respond positively to being pushed from a player below him on the depth chart. Where he sort of seems like the guy that relished knowing he was the guy and was going to be going out there every night. And it, it seems like he was almost playing scared coming into this season, knowing that there was someone nipping at his heels in Campbell. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think there, like there are there are cofactors here, right? So but when we get into the injuries, I think that's going to be the biggest issue. But even still, like looking at injuries, I mean, we know Campbell's dealing with an injury and he's able to play through it um, and effectively, right? Not just play through it to an 880 save percentage or whatever it was that Fred was giving us this year. He's playing through it to Vesna numbers. So there, there's a difference there, right? And I think that you might be right. I do know that they saw something in him when he was being pushed by Gibson in Anaheim. So he had it in him, you know, he had fight in him. Like he moved between a number of uh, franchises before he came to Toronto. 
And I don't know if he's just lost that fight. I mean, it could just be that he's gone through a really bad year mentally and the pandemic might not have helped. There's a lot of miles on Freddie too, right? Yeah, there, there are. Exactly. Like, I mean, what did he have? Like something like hundreds of shots more than, than the guy who had second most shots over that five-year period with yeah. the Maple Leafs. So like the guy, I mean, there's miles on the body. There's miles on, on the mind and those things collide. And I think that when you put that pressure behind him, that's an additional stress. And you're probably right. I mean, I just think that it's an issue for him knowing that Campbell's here and can, is it is the type of guy that can put up a, a 940 or whatever it is over a 10 game stretch in the uh, backup. Yeah. Seat. Never mind the, the backup doing that when Freddie's contract is set to expire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Jake, you, you wrote a piece recently. Um, you, you created a sub stack and you wrote about Freddie Anderson and, and um, you know, one of the things that you kind of mentioned, you were, you were talking a lot about his positioning, but, but towards the end of the piece, you mentioned about, you know, the mental game, obviously that's a big part of it. And you said that already so far and, and it is such a big part. And I'm glad you mentioned the pandemic because like it's uh, goaltending is, um, I, I think you could pretty safely say like, um, for, for team sports, you know, it's it's pretty much the most like mental intensive mm-hmm. position outside of the quarterback, probably right. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I can't think of anything else that comes close. And you know, you have to be so dialed in all the time. Um, obviously, the injury is a part of it, but um, you've got the pandemic, you've got the lame duck situation, and that that's kind of what makes me wonder. You know, even if even if he comes back and physically he he's healthy and he's he's fine, ready to go. Like what's the mental game going to be like? Is, is he going to be sharp? Is he, is he going to be able to be sharp uh, after seeing, you know, what Campbell's done and what he's going to have to kind of come back to, uh, to come back and, and have to, you know, take that net back knowing he, it's probably, he's probably going to lose it again, whatever he does uh, at the end of the season, right? Like I can't imagine that's a, a good situation mentally anyway you slice it yeah uh i guess that's the question right like does he come back and does he have a fire uh or does he come back and is he ice cold that's our biggest concern i think in toronto is that if campbell does go down to injury which i mean it happens it's happened it's happened a bunch already this year it happened last year if he goes down to injury um and fred can't cut it this leafs team that is you know for all intents and purposes a, a juggernaut uh, is not going to go very far. And so I think the biggest question in Kyle Davis's mind right now, even beyond looking for a forward, because that seems pretty straightforward, I think that the biggest question in his mind is, is can Freddie come back and be an effective goaltender and a healthy goaltender in the whatever it is, 10 games uh, remaining once he comes back? And so, I mean, personally, um, I believe he can. And we'll talk about that later. I think that he can, but... It's uh, I'm not sure about it. And I don't think the team is either. Yeah. And, you know, I guess if he does come back um, like it's the best case is almost like, you know, he recognizes that he's uh, especially with the Leafs, with the spotlight in the playoffs. um, It's a hell of a stage for a guy who's probably going to market. Right. 
Oh, indeed. Yeah. Like if he can come back and perform, I still don't think that the Leafs bring him back on a long-term deal. I mean, he's, what is he, 30 or 31, something like that. And, yeah. yeah. I don't think there's anything that he could do from here to the, to the no. end of whatever the playoff run is that would, you know, earn him a, another look with the Leafs. I just don't think salary-wise or age-wise it's a fit at this point. No, I, yeah, I don't either. And, and you have to think that somebody out there, probably, probably Ken Holland, like somebody, somebody out there who needs a goaltender and who wants reliability and and somebody who can get in the net for 60 games a year is going to sign it. And I just don't think that's Toronto. I think that they uh, see a lot out there in FA and in trade. Guys like Darcy Kemper are available in as much as like their team is, you know, looking to offload salary or whatever it might be. So I don't think Fred Anderson is, is the guy that they move forward with. I mean, if they win the cup and he's the guy, maybe that changes things, but I, I don't see that happening. Like that's my, so where I'm coming from, my perspective is I don't think Fred is the guy. And so I don't think that Fred Anderson comes back and ends up earning a contract. Yeah, I'm with you there 100%. I, even before this season started, I'm kind of tooting my own horn here and it hasn't happened yet. But my bold prediction before the season started was that Jack Campbell would be the guy between the pipes for the Leafs for their first playoff game this season. And I, I feel stronger about that now than I, I did even back then. And I think that Campbell's performance so far this season, Freddie's struggles notwithstanding, Campbell's performance alone, I think, should be enough to have earned him the opportunity to show that he can be that guy to help this team get over that playoff hump. Because for all the good that Freddie has done in Toronto, we know that he hasn't been able to get it together at playoff time. And while he hasn't necessarily always been you know, the, the main culprit in the losses, he has all too often been the second best goalie yeah. in the playoff series is the, during his tenure here. And I just don't know how the Leafs can go back to that, especially when you consider the fact that, like you said, Freddie's likely not going to be back. They are all signs point to them moving on. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I don't know quite what they owe to him at this point as far as being invested in him having that playoff success i think that they don't have to be so worried about protecting his psyche anymore and letting him feel comfortable as the guy that's going to get that playoff opportunity right now they have to be concerned about what gives them the best chance to win and time after time since he's arrived in toronto i think campbell has shown that he is that guy and just the way that we see his teammates interact with him, the way they speak about him. And this isn't a shot at Fred, because I, I know those guys all love him too. But it's just different the way that they all talk about Campbell, right up to Sheldon Keefe and commenting about the way he battles his ass off. And they talk about how much how proud they are of Campbell for the the work he's done to get here. I just think that it's so clear that he is the guy to to lead this team into the playoffs at this point. And while Freddie might be needed as depth if Campbell isn't able to get it done in those pressure situations or, you know, suffers another injury, I think that's all he is for this team at this point. And it, yeah, yeah, Campbell's just earned it. I agree. Yeah, I think Campbell's, the the way they play in front of him, the confidence that they play with, the confidence that he plays with. And like you mentioned, like they the way they talk about him, I mean, it's not as if some jackass walked in and took the job, right? Like this is a guy that everybody gets along with that they love and he's the nicest and guy. And that shit matters, like, every, man. Like, it does matter. It does matter, man. Like the, there's totally. a reason why 
these Leafs juggernaut teams for the last three years couldn't cut it, right? Like, and I, including last year, I know it was a pandemic. I know it was boiled down to luck, right? Like Twitter boiled last year down to luck. And now I don't necessarily buy Twitter's uh, convictions all the time. And I didn't buy that. Like when they came back and they won that game four, uh, in that stellar comeback with like six minutes left or whatever it was down three goals, you had to think that they were not going to lay an egg in game five. And that's exactly what they fucking yeah. did. The, yeah. the, the team has a different feeling about it this year. Part of that is Jack Campbell. And the reason that I can say that with, with a degree of confidence is because eight, nine games ago, we were saying, yeah, they're playing well, but you know, goaltending might kill them. And nine games later, we're talking about the first place team, the the team that's probably going to win the president's trophy, or at least has a pretty good chance. Um, and that's just attributed to Campbell. I mean, the only difference in that time is that Campbell took over the net. There's There's been nothing else that's Yeah, changed. I had to laugh about people talking about how much better the penalty kill is all of a sudden. They're like, yeah, well, like, what, what, what has coincided with that? <laughs> right, right. Like, all the underlyings are basically the exact same. Nothing's yeah. changed. Like, this team is 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 a, an excellent team basically across the board besides on power play which is a different story but Campbell is the, the guy that's changed everything and Fred like to give credit to Fred Fred was an excellent goaltender for like 4 years for this team I mean he put up what did he put up a 918 918 917 something like that pretty in, much the model of consistency yeah exactly and in his years in Anaheim I think he was sort of similar like his average in Anaheim was 918 I mean he was he might not be um quality starts consistent like he's one of those guys who never has ranked very high in quality starts but he is year over year consistent and so at the end of the year when you look at what he gives you he's a guy who can buy you like 10 wins and also lose you you know eight games like that's the that's <laughs> yeah the, that's kind of what fred has always been whereas campbell has with toronto has thus far just been a very excellent goaltender game in and game out for whatever it is the 15 16 games that he's played he's 13 2 and 1 as a leaf i yeah, just i don't know what absurd. else you could ask him to do <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Nine, 950 plus or whatever it is right now. Uh, it's foolish. So, I mean, and that's, that's you know, we, we talked about the mental side of it. And like, I wonder how much of that like comes into play with Fred, right? Like the, the first few years, it, it was like, that, that's all you had to do. Like go out there, be a workhorse, like, you know, play a lot more games in, in a more consistent fashion than, you know, almost any other guy in the league can do. Like it, just to go out there and, and give 60, like really, solid games generally um which is what he was doing like that that's a hell of a feat um but it's like you know he, he didn't have much of a team in front of him he, he was kind of kind of knew what he was knew what he was in for every night and now it's it's um the mentality of the, you know the guys the guys coming at you over the blue line morgan riley's up in the fucking far corner in the yeah. offensive <laughs> zone at the other side um and it's like i feel like that's got to play into it a little bit where um you know you, you just you have a team that you know uh, has expectations and and you had none for those first few seasons and all of a sudden um it's it's like you know Jake you wrote about um just the positioning and mm -hmm. like we we saw some of those soft goals like that's that's always been there um, yeah 
but but the positioning like you know it, it, i i guess it's like the weakness is there and now it's kind of become overexposed maybe as a combination of like the injury or, or whatever other factor is there but you know the, the soft goals have been there but this season it's like there were some games where it's, it's like he was so lost in his net mm-hmm. it it's like you weren't even watching an NHL game like it was it was stunning to to see just the the way he seemed to be not prepared to play and like how much of this do you think does kind of boil down to like just the injury or or you know a kind of a combination of factors i guess okay so first things first i what i want to do is i, I want to explain uh, the concept of injuries because i think that the twitter generally and that most people watching the games don't understand how injuries work necessarily and i what i mean to say is that a lot of people look at injuries as either acute as in occurring or not occurring right so people will look at somebody and say this person has a labrum tear or they don't or they'll look at someone and say this person has an acl tear or they don't right but really any good physiotherapist or physical therapist or what have you will tell you that uh, basically everybody is injured. There is no such thing as an uninjured person or an uninjured population. Um, all that there are are sort of degrees of injury, right? So like the three of us might say like, you know, right now my lower back hurts. That 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 is an injury uh, to a point. You know, one of you guys might say like, you know, I have an ankle, like a bum ankle or something like that. And, and hockey works the same way, right? Everybody on the ice is injured to some effect. And the difference between the guys that can cut it and the guys that can't cut it is either the degree of the injury uh, or if the degree of the injury is similar, pain tolerance and you know stick to if you will. And I know that that's not something that people want to hear, but it's true. Um, we sort of villainize players for playing through injury and being able to carry a heavy workload, but it's something that a lot of guys do. Almost everybody across the board is dealing with something and some guys are better at it than others. I think that what we have with Fred is that a couple of years ago in 2019, and this is just my opinion mixed mixed with some rumors that we've heard, a couple of years ago in 2019, I think that he injured himself against the Buffalo Sabres. I think he injured his groin. And the thing about groins for goaltenders is it's right at the movement center, right? So the groin originates at the hip and, and moves down into the knee. And so the groin creates a lot of problems for a goaltender because it's it affects both movement centers in the lower body or in the mid body. So for a goalie who gets a groin tear, it basically puts them out of commission for training entirely for the duration of the, the strains healing. So let's say that it was a, I'm just speculating. Let's say that it it was a grade two and it moves from grades one to four. So let's say that it was a, a relatively moderate, like grade two strain. That might be a number of weeks before Fred can even really move, right? Besides doing some, like full body movement based stuff, like out of who knows, some sort of cardio or something like that. Never mind moving the way he's used to moving in his crease. Exactly. So Fred's probably not moving for a number of weeks, just kind of doing the standard old, um, you know, rehabilitation exercises and all that kind of stuff. And then he gets back probably three weeks into it or whatever, having missed like six, seven, eight games at the time. And he's behind and then he's got to catch up. And as a guy who is probably still injured at the time, because he probably had not healed properly, being that in 2019, the Leafs didn't have anybody who could fucking carry any load besides him, right? So it was just him, and he knew he had to get back. My guess is that he gets back, 
probably too early and re-aggravate something, and then it's in his mind since 2019. Um, now, I there has been speculation that the injury that he's carrying today is a knee injury. My guess would be that it's compensatory, that it's a knee injury that has occurred uh, at the insertion of the same uh, groin issue, and that it's probably just recurring now. And when that happens... Uh, it's in, like you mentioned earlier, Cam, like in the, in a solitary position, like in pitching or in goaltending or in quarterbacking, when you have an injury that you are worried about, it consumes your mind, right? It's like an anxious thought. It's very difficult to process very high speed plays. And in the NHL where things are moving at warp speed, when you're concerned about the feeling in your leg and about what might happen if you slide across the net, that creates an issue. It just that split second of, slow decision-making will result in a high-danger goal. And that's what we've seen for the last two years in bunches against Fred Anderson. Yeah, and Freddie stylistically is always kind of lauded for his positioning and being big in the net and things like that. He was never one that was, you know, tabbed as an overly athletic goaltender who was relying on his quick twitch speed and things like that. So an injury to, like, such a crucial part of a goaltender's body – it's almost akin to, you know, John Tavares being a guy who couldn't afford to lose a stride. Whereas Freddie is a guy that couldn't really afford to lose any quick twitch speed mm-hmm. in his movements in the net. How much do you think that the injury m- may have impacted that? And can he really bounce back and get back to where he was prior to that injury in 2019 yeah so to the first question i think it affected it a lot like my my hypothesis is that freddie's problems stem almost exclusively from that injury we know that he had issues in prime time anyway like he's like the game sevens are a farce like the the performances that he has put on in three elimination games in a row now three final like double elimination games i should say um have not been good, right? So, and, no, and it's fucking yakety sacks. It's it, like it's, it's, it's yeah, everything it's you bad. expect uh, Game Seven Leafs performance. Yeah, exactly. There, it's a repeat of 2013 every year, right? Like it's every year. It's yeah. the team is a joke, and he's a part of that. He has been a guy who has not performed thus far at times when it's mattered. And that's just, I think, if the, if we take that as a fact, right? If we just all accept that. <laughs> that it's okay that he's not been that guy, it's going to be a little bit easier to let go. Because yes, he has been consistent year over year. That's still a problem though, right? Like he's still a guy who gives up goals when he should not. But moving on from that, just looking at Fred as like, as what is the viability of Fred as a goaltender over the course of a season or over the course of a seven-game playoff series? I mean, I think that he's proven to us that he is, a, he is an exceptional goaltender over a long stretch. Um, it just, it requires that long stretch to get the most out of him. And that's why where the injury is concerned, I worry because knowing that it, it requires that immense amount of playing time for Fred to really be effective for him to sort of normalize or regularize to like a 918, well, the groin's going to create issues there, right? And so he can heal that groin, sure, mostly, but he's also like 30 something years old and every year that passes, he gets less good at healing, right? So... Ultimately, what we're dealing with is a guy who I think had the most crucial injury at the most crucial time and just has not been able to recover. And I, I'm, I'm thankful, I'm happy for him that the Maple Leafs organization has decided to actually give him some time off. But I don't think that it's 
a curiosity at all that it's only happened when Campbell arrived. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, it's it just a testament to, to Campbell, right? Like it's it's I shudder to think of the numbers Freddie would be putting up if they were still now trying to run him out there because Campbell wasn't up to it. <laughs> but Campbell's right. been so good. But uh, you know what? On, on that note, Freddie does deserve some credit for, you know, I don't think he just all of a sudden suffered this injury once Campbell was able to come back into the net. I think he was Mm -hmm. very clearly battling through something while Campbell was unavailable, you know, trying to do the best by, by his team and, and, you know, give them a chance to win those games while the, the other guy was still on the shelf. So I think he deserves some credit for trying to gut it out through that. And though it may have been to his own detriment, I I do think he does deserve credit. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me too. Totally. And I think too that going into next year, somebody who signs Freddie Anderson is going to get a guy who probably puts up between like a 912 and a 915 or something, say percentage. Like he's probably going to return to a decent form and be a good goaltender for somebody. I just think that this Maple Leafs team with, with real aspirations is looking for somebody who is a little bit more of a clutch player. And I know that that's like everybody hates to talk about clutch, but the thing about he's clutch fucking is that 0 and 8 in elimination yeah. games in his career. Like it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't just dismiss all of the evidence, like the mounting evidence that this guy can't fucking play when the game matters. And, and yeah. it's again, it's like pitchers, right? It's like how many years have we seen Kershaw yeah. like win ERA titles and not be able to pitch in a game two? Like it's the, the guy, some guys can't cut it when it matters. Right. And then occasionally, you know, like the broken clock is right twice a day and and the guy wins or whatever, and then he's a winner. But ultimately, a lot of, like for, for goaltenders, pitchers, and quarterbacks, there are guys who can cut it and there are guys who can't. And I think that Campbell has like the makings of a guy who can. He just moves around, he battles. He's a lot like Cujo, right? Like he'll let in like a like an absolute, uh, a repulsive floater in the first two minutes of the game and then makes 34 saves. Yeah. Right, where Freddie looks like he falls apart when that happens. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's been so fun to watch Campbell work, and like you said, you know it's it's he, he does have that feel of a guy. We kind of we talked about it a bit with like the pedigree or whatever, and like you know the, the guys who get drafted high and then it's like they're supposed to be the next savior, and then they're not, and everyone kind of tries to distance themselves and pretend they never had that take, and then all of a sudden here they are, like you know ten years later, and he's he's a pretty solid goaltender. <laughs> so exactly. it, it, it's it, it's a long road, right? So. um yeah, it's it's exciting. And like it's it's that's another thing too like you say about like the clutch gene or whatever. Like it's um th- like there's a reason those guys win like at at younger ages, right? Like pe- people, you know, you you can project and you always project on on skill and on physical ability and and whatever and intangibles are harder to project, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't just say because a kid won at a certain level, he's he's going to keep winning. But if, if that kid all of a sudden pops up 10 years later and he's still winning, it's like, uh, you know, you, there's you, something there. Yeah, it, it comes down to that mental side of it, right? Where it's, uh, uh, you know, you, you're at some point, maybe your, your physical abilities will let you down or whatever. But, um, you know, if you can put it all together um focus is 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 incredibly key for 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 that position right so it's just if you have the mind for it um it's just a matter of kind of figuring the other things out and and uh campbell he's he's this season he's got a beautiful mind for, for, for oh, yeah. <laughs> there like this is uh, has yeah. been incredible to watch um 
While we're talking injuries, Jake, Austin Matthews just continues Mm. to look better with that wrist. And, uh, you know, we've been playing uh, amateur doctor here a little bit Um, on the show, just kind of, you know, trying to figure out what's what's going on. What can we really expect him to get much better? And and, I mean, it it seems like he's certainly improving as he plays. What are you seeing with with him out there over the last number of weeks? Yeah. So um, there's some hard evidence like there's some there are some tangibles like we know that he's being put into the shooting positions on the power play again he's moving into corners a lot like he's been i've noticed him playing on the walls so much recently like he's he's digging in right i think that he looks like uh, as complete a 200 foot player as, as we've ever seen in toronto um at least in the last you know 20 something years in our but, lifetime anyway yeah. yeah for sure and i think that that's a testament to where he is at physically but i do think that the reason that he's been able to recover is because they you know that that week off would have helped um and then they he missed a couple of games like the week prior and so he only played something like one or two games over the course of like a two-week period and i mean ultimately what he was dealing with is just tendonitis from repeated motion like I, you know i'd bet my house on it um, it, when you move the body, an area of the body through the same motion day in and day out, in, in this case, six days per week. And for him, probably extra work after those six days of, of work, um, your muscles and your tendons don't want to do it anymore. And so they start to become inflamed and it gets worse as you, as you persist, as you continue through the movements and eventually it becomes an issue that uh, causes serious pain and then causes, um, you know, obstructions in the movement. And so with, with Austin, what I think happened was he just had a, a common case of tendonitis, like, you know, like you would have if you had tennis elbow and he just needed some rest. And with the sports science department, I think that they, they probably took care of it the right way. And so he looks back. I mean, I, I can't say ultimately the only the player can say, and, and like even the sports science guys would tell you, they probably can't say it's, it's up to the player to tell them. But the player certainly fucking looks like he's not in any pain. Like he's he's hot right now. Yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about the injury with Matthews in the last handful of games just because he does look back to himself, that dominant 200-foot force that we saw at the beginning of the season. And I think the, the game Wednesday night, what ended up being the winning goal is a, a perfect example. Matthews just digging in down low in his own zone and, and you know – knocking a puck free and skating it out of his end all on his own before dishing to Mariner and getting it back to set up that Hyman goal. It's just a a full 200-foot player utilizing all of his talents at both ends of the ice. And the same things that have made him effective, like you said, on the wall in the offensive zone, digging out pucks and winning those battles, that's what's made him such an effective defensive player this year too. And getting back to sort of what you were talking about at the top of the show when it comes to pain tolerance and things like that, there was a lot of worry about, you know, the way that this Matthews injury was being handled and the fact that they were still playing him when he clearly wasn't 100%. But I think we've got to trust that, you know, this sports science department and the medical staff in Toronto wouldn't have been putting Austin Matthews, of all people, at risk if it yeah. wasn't anything that was, you know, beyond a, a matter of pain tolerance. Yeah. No, yeah. totally. And I, like, I'm guilty of that too, right? Like, I looked at it and I thought, you know, if it were up to me, like, if I was in the room making calls based on the information that we have, um, I would have him sit out a few games, like a few more games. And that's because the way that the games were scheduled, he could have taken those additional two games off and had like a two and a half week period where he didn't play, right? 
that would have been really productive, I think. But at the same time, I think that they, well, very clearly, they managed it well enough that he's back, right? So, so at the time, like, do I think in retrospect, it was the right decision? I don't know. I, I still, I still lean towards you sit the player because you can afford to like this team is, is clearly not going to fall out of a playoff spot. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you want your best player healthy, but it didn't seem to have hurt. Right. So maybe it took a little longer for him to heal, but he seems healed. Totally. Yeah. And that's, and so like what I guess I'm hearing is that like, it's not something that, I mean, it it could come back, but it's not like uh, necessarily a situation where you're going to want to try to rest him again at some point. Like it's just kind of play it by ear and and see how it feels. Cause right now it sure looks like it's kind of, I mean, he's playing pretty fucking well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And he, like ultimately it could become that again. It could be that he needs to sit a game or two. It, it happens like with tendonitis, it's finicky and with, with all soft tissue injuries, right? Like uh, you never know with, with hard, like with bone, with hard tissue, you know that the injury is healed usually. And in many cases, the injury heals even to to a stronger degree than it was prior to uh, prior to injury. With soft tissue, it's not the same. Um, soft tissue is finicky. It's sometimes healed. It's sometimes 50% healed when you think it's more healed or less. And so the sports science guys can only work on so much real information. Like a lot of it is going to be based on player feedback, right? So what is the guy telling me? Is he telling me that it hurts? Is he telling me that it hurts in this motion? What degree of pain is it when he moves it through this motion? All that kind of stuff. And so we don't know, is it truly healed? But I do think, and I believe this wholly, that they will take care of it so that Austin Matthews is ready to play at as close to 100% as possible for the playoffs. All I'm hearing there while you're talking about bones healing versus tendons is that there's no good reason that Wayne Simmons hasn't punched anyone in the face since he yeah, came back. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he, he should have been good to go a while back. Um, yeah. I mean, with Matthews, it's like, I wonder how much of it is like, um, just the fact that he was so violently ripping pucks into the top shelf three yeah. times a night for yeah. or two, you know, like five goals every three games for, uh, you know, the first 20 or whatever. And then it's like, jeez, uh, he, he, he's not quite back to where he was. And it's like, well, maybe <laughs> maybe there's more at play there than just the injury. Yeah. Um, speaking of goals, TJ Brody got his first the other night and uh just wanted to mention that because I've really liked TJ Brody and we haven't really talked about him much. And, um, damn, he, he has been just such a great addition to this team. Like obviously Muzzin is, you know, it started with the, the acquisition of Muzzin, but like, it feels like Brody is really kind of just added something to the defensive structure where, like it's just you can just rely on him when he's out there he he still fits into the the kind of overall um you know uh theme of the team with like he, he's such a great skater he's so smart moves the puck well but um defensively like he he's he's just brought so much to the leafs this year yeah for sure 
he, he I've you know Nick will kill me for this but he's he's <laughs> like if if like if Dermot was like good you know like if Dermot, <laughs> if Dermot was actually good, uh, I thought you had changed your tune on this <laughs> he's, you know I, I thought I did too there's some, there's no you're about. you're 100 percent right it's like if it, it's like it, Dermot needs his like aggression sliders juiced by about fucking 50 percent yeah then, ex- exactly you know? exactly like Brody does all these things I saw Dermot the other day on uh, on Perry to do the alligator and you know he tripped Perry in the end boards, right? Like, he, he got it all Brody. right except the, yeah. for the part where you're not supposed to trip the guy. He got the yeah, pocket exactly. and everything like that. Exactly, but. yeah. He just like launched himself in the wrong direction, right? And Brody, <laughs> Brody's so apt at all this shit. Like he's – it's like we've never seen a defender like Brody uh, in Toronto since – 2003 or whenever it was, right? Like it, this is a different beast entirely. I mean he he's so smooth in his skating stride. Uh, like his his – alligator is amazing and he does it all the time and he does it so effectively like his stick is so active his fucking stick is everywhere he's like if martin morinson was good at everything else you know what i mean like he's (laughs) he's so good and uh i just think that for riley who's like let's be honest like we all love riley and we all we poke fun at riley but it's for a reason it's because like he gives as much as as he takes from the other team you know like he finds himself like way up on a you know, three on two or something that he shouldn't be on. And all of a sudden there's an odd man rush and his partner's got to be a guy who can defend. And I just think that Brody has been like the perfect partner for him. It's, I, we, we have not seen this, um, this freedom and like the freedom of movement in Riley's game since, uh, pro- well, probably never. Right. And Brody's been so fucking good as his partner. Yeah. We've joked about it a few times on the show already, but like if they kept a stat for the guy that has had to defend the most odd man rushes this season, I I would have to imagine that TJ Brody would be up there, but he's been so effective covering for Riley in those instances. And everyone freaks out and it always stands out when, you know, the puck does end up in the Leafs net on one of those, you know, perhaps ill-advised pinches by Riley. But the truth of the matter is that there have been so many instances this year where Brody has been the fixer in those mm-hmm. situations where, you know, maybe Riley has taken a risk that didn't work out or maybe Riley did get walked at the blue line or something. And almost every time Brody has been there to clean up the, the mess this year. And it's it, like you said, Jake, it's just it's taken Riley to a different level of you know, offensive freedom, I think, and really allow him to play the the game that makes him effective. And, you know, we are all hired on Riley. And I think it's probably also perhaps a symptom of the fact that he's the, just the guy that's been here the longest. And eventually, you know, we find a way to hate everybody that plays for the Leafs after a certain amount of time. But I, I think especially in the last couple of weeks, I've really liked Riley's game. I think you can see that he's sort of starting to settle into that that chemistry that he's developed with Brody throughout the early part of this year. You have to remember, you know, these guys have only played, what is it, 40 games together mm-hmm. now? You know, yeah. th- it's still sort of a work in progress for those guys to figure out how to read off of one another and things like that. I just think that the early returns have been outstanding and Brody has solidified the not just the defense, but, you know, the team as a whole, I think, 
because going back a number of years now, the biggest problem with this team has always been on the blue line and just not having that, you know, consistent, responsible presence that can match up with other teams, best players every night back there. And the Leafs have that now that you could argue that they have it on multiple pairings when, oh, yeah. you, when you consider the way that Muzzin and Hall have been playing for, you know, going on two full seasons now. It's just an entirely different team. And just to get back to the Anderson thing for a second, I think maybe that is another factor that has led to the frustration in the fan base w- with Anderson this year is because all of the excuses that were, you know, built into this team in the last couple of years with, you know, the, the poor defense and giving up way too many chances and things like that. Like, we haven't seen that this year. Freddie has had to be just okay because the, the defense has been so much better on the whole, not just the blue liners, but, the, you know, the entire team is bought in, I think. And we're, we're seeing, you know, a lot more help from the forwards. Everyone's kind of collapsing to the front. The system has changed a bit. And I just think that's what's made it more frustrating with Anderson is that he hasn't been able to just be average behind, you know, a a vastly improved team. And I think Brody has been the biggest catalyst for that. Yeah. Yeah. Big difference back there. Yeah. I I think, um, you know, part of it with Riley, too, is probably the fact that, like, for most of his Leafs career, we were just used to, like, every period, a dozen odd man rushes both ways. (laughs) Yeah. and now it's yes. like a couple of times a game and it's always when Riley's on the ice. So it's like it's a completely <laughs> yeah. different yeah. game that they're playing out there. Right. And it's, you know, he's still creating that that uh, those chances. And, and we're just we're, we're I guess, kind of hyper focusing sometimes on on, you know, the the odd. Well, he stands out more now. Right. Yeah, like, to, exactly. to yeah. he does. He does. You're right. Like when when it was Zaitsev back there and, and CC and like, you know, we're, we're cooking with gas right now. So this is a, this is a totally different team. We're playing in a different ballpark here. Like Riley is, uh, you know, like a remnant of a bygone era for this Toronto team. Like he's the only guy back there who plays the way that he does. And I think to, to be honest with you, I think that makes him more valuable now for all that I harp on him than he would have been last year because he provides a movement, a mobility that none of the other guys in this defense do. And I think that they all have the skating ability to do it. Like I think, well, I certainly think Brody and Dermott have the skating ability to, to be like Riley, but they just don't have the goal. Like they don't have, they they don't have the offensive brain, right? Yeah. Like they, they don't have it. Right. And Riley's a guy who has it and he provides something that none of the, none of the other defense do. And on top of it all, like for all that he, yeah, I mean, for all that he gives to the other team, like for all the times that it looks like he's hemmed in the zone or for all the times that Brody's back there saving his ass, like he is in the offensive zone working the other team so often. Like it's so, it's so clear this year what he brings, especially with a stable partner like, uh, like Brody. And I can't tell you how many, like, again, if we're talking about made up stats here, but if you were to count, like, how many penalties have been taken against the Maple Leafs because of something that Riley initiated, like some sort of wheel around the zone or something like that? It's I bet you he'd be at the top of the league. Like he's a guy who just creates. Really he creates good. chaos from, yeah, from he, the, he from the blue line. Well, exactly. Well, imagine that you're a def- like imagine you're a somewhat slow, like slow-footed defenseman, like sitting at the red line or something, right? And Riley comes flying in, like a defenseman comes flying in at you, like right in your fucking face, and all of a sudden you have like you know forward three is like Matthews. Like it's, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be really difficult to deal with that. And he's the only guy who can bring that. Yeah, you're right. And it's, you know, it's, it's funny how like, um, 
we've talked a lot about the mental game and like I find that especially with defensemen you can find guys who who stylistically look very similar in terms of like the way they skate or whatever but the way they think the game is completely different and and it it just creates a totally different player like Riley can um, see things offensively that that other defensemen just can't and he also has the wheels to to like create um at just a crazy clip the way that riley like jumps onto the weak side in transition plays like when his team gets a break out of the defensive zone and there's you know a chance for an odd man situation in the neutral zone he like it doesn't get enough credit for what he's able to create off of plays like that no he doesn't he, he doesn't get nearly enough credit like so if riley's the type of guy who like secondary assists would actually be a pretty good measure of his talent you know like he's he, he is the guy who creates plays so often that result in goals. And uh, I, I feel like he's, he's for all the lauding that we give him for his offensive game, he's almost like still underrated as an offensive defenseman in the league. And again, if he were to just be a little better defensively, and I'm not talking about giving up odd man rushes because that happens with a guy like him, but just like if he could find a way to just have a bit of a better brain for like, the defensive net for like protecting the house. We'd be talking about a guy who's like, you know, the, the first war defenseman every year, the first guard defenseman every year. Yeah. Yeah. It's just his reads. Like, you know, you, you look, you, that's the difference when you see Brody, like the, the defensive reads that Brody can make. Um, it, he, he's just so much more kind of like attuned to, to that side of it. Whereas Riley is kind of always looking for like, how do I create offense out of this? Um, wanted to get into a few, um, trade targets with you jake we, we've mm-hmm. seen some movement here this week and uh uh palmieri went went to the islanders uh and pearson's off the um off of the the board at vancouver as well three-year deal because obviously jim benning should still have fucking <laughs> full reign to <laughs> yeah, give out it. and sign contracts why the hell are the canucks <laughs> resigning <laughs> anyway it's <laughs> so dumb Another yeah, three million dollar plus depth contract that hasn't fucking been a problem at all in Vancouver. <laughs> it's fuck, just man. learning, learning, like making so many mistakes and learning nothing. Like yeah. I-, I can't handle when people talk about the Leafs being in cap hell because of you know paying so much money to fucking Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, who are two of the best players in the world. When you have teams like Vancouver handing out you know like four million dollar AAV contracts to Jay Beagle and shit like get yeah, out of no, here I know yeah, yeah they're not even comparable I think that <laughs> I think that uh, that Toronto like should be looking for somebody on the higher end that's I'll start there like I'd, I'm not looking like Paul Mary I'm so happy we didn't trade for him I, I know that he's a good player I know I know what he brings. I get that he's a play driver and a finisher and whatever else, but like I'm talking like we should there's an opportunity here, you know, for for like a real high-end guy. And that's where my head's at. Yeah, I I like that. I that's I, I've kind of been like Philip Forsberg has has been one of the guys yeah. that I've been really keen on and he's been he's been out for a bit. So I don't, I don't really know where that sits cuz I think Nashville's kind of gotten back into it a bit, but um it like I know that um Nick Felino's come up a bit and and Nick I, we were talking about him a little bit and I didn't really chime in I, I'm not like super sold on Felino either for like you know I, I think that um he brings a lot of the things that like Palmieri does and I think that I'd probably prefer Palmieri um yeah but I don't know what what are your thoughts on Felino Nick because I, I know that you were kind of keen on what he brings well kind of to Jake's point I, I think that this team is definitely 
in a position where they should be going for a bigger swing than that. You know, like we're, we're talking about a guy like Philip Forsberg and the other name that's floating around everywhere is just Taylor Hall. But outside of that, I just don't know what other, you know, big swings are out there that are available. So it, yeah. it, it, after that, for me, it comes down to looking f- for, you know, the, that kind of best stylistic fit. And for me, a guy like Nick Foligno, he provides the versatility that this team craves, you know, someone that they could slot in the middle if they had to, but is also capable of playing on the wing. And I think he would, you know, fit in just fine playing with skilled players like Tavares and Nylander as well. But he also brings a bit of that grit and, you know, that just being hard to play against sort of attitude that is so valuable in the playoffs. And there's been plenty of speculation from, you know, the big insiders that Dubas is looking to add a bit more of that to the, to the roster. We've got, you know, Zach Bogosian and Jake Muzzin on the back end who bring a lot of physicality. Wayne Simmons is capable of it too, but I don't think that he quite has the, the feet anymore to be an effective physical presence on the four check in the same way that a guy like Felino could do. Um, it, it, for me, it just kind of comes down to the the lack of high end options, and I think that's what has led me to sort of looking at a guy like Felino, just because I, I think that he checks a lot of the boxes for what this team is looking to add before the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I agree with that. I it, I still think like Felino's a guy that I mean he's fallen off a little bit, but I mean that team is in shambles right like i don't know what's going on in in columbus that's whatever's happening with torts is probably affecting everybody and and losing all their best players year after year is probably getting to getting to the captain of the team like i am there are reasons i'm sure that uh he's not been the same guy that he was yeah but um he brings something that this team could use man i mean like like you mentioned nick like on that left side right now we're super shallow Right, you got Hyman. Like Hyman yeah. to me is the perfect complementary player. If I could have four Hymans, I'd pick four Hymans. Right, and yeah. I'd, I'd arguably take Hyman over Taylor Hall in, in 2021. Um, yeah, but below him, it's like we're not working with a lot. And Galchenyuk's looked really good, um, but I think that what we should look for is a guy who can mix into the top six and who can mix into the bottom six. And so Felino, I think, is a guy who can. He just doesn't dazzle me as much. I think that Taylor Hall is a viable target, and that's my name. Like I, the the reason that I say Taylor Hall makes sense. Well, there are a few reasons. One is that he plays a tough game. Like he's a pain in the ass to play against. Yeah, he doesn't get enough credit for that. He's a cannonball. He really doesn't. Yeah, he is right. Like he's he's a bull out there. He's a he's built like Hyman is right. He forechecks really, really effectively. Um, he's hard on pucks. He digs pucks out of corners, and he's a hell of a playmaker. And he's, you know, him, Eichel, Nylander, and Ehlers, like among some others, are the the best puck carriers in the league. Like he's so effective at taking the puck from one end to the other. And I think that adding that threat onto the Nylander Tavares line or onto the Matthews line would be exceptional. Like I think that he brings something that Felino can't. There, there are questions about like you know his his pedigree or whatever, but I think he's just played on four really shitty teams. Like I don't think yeah. like he's played on if you know if I were to pick four teams to 
play to not play for in the NHL, I might pick the four teams he's fucking played for. Like, <laughs> exactly. So I don't blame that on him, you know? Yeah, well, that's it. It's like no one, no one wants to be at a party where every time you leave a room – you got to fucking start the party up once you come back in the room. Like every time that Taylor Hall wasn't on the ice for basically every team he's played for, they were dog yeah. shit. Like right, it's right. just, I, I can't imagine how, how uh, juiced he would be to come into a situation where it's like, yeah, things are kind of rolling here and I don't need to be like, you know, the guy, I don't need to be carrying the puck every shift and like trying to make things happen out there all the time. Like I, I, I really like the, the, the hall option. And especially like if the, if the cost is, like, I mean, people are talking about like, oh, would you trade a first round pick for Taylor Hall? Imagine asking that fucking question two years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. The, the guy won a yeah. fucking heart trophy. What is two it? Two years, years ago. ago, right? Like, I, I think, I think, uh, you know, if that's the price for a guy like Taylor Hall and you can make the salary work at that acquisition cost. I just think it's a no-brainer. Well, I, mean, but, I do too. I do too. And I think that's what it's going to end up being. You know, like all the all the all the rumors, like all the chatter, is that basically the guy is barely warranting a second or like a low first or whatever. And Toronto, like guys, I mean, they trade their first every year or their their late second or whatever for two thirds. Like they are a trade down team. They understand value, right? Pick value. And the Leafs are going to be if they add Taylor Hall, like at that first round pick, if they do deal it it's going to be like it's going to be 30th or 31st in the league like these guys are going to go deep and i think they know i think they know that they would be borderline unstoppable with taylor hall in the top six against the canadian opponents so long as campbell or fred or whoever it is is able to put up a 920 like they're they're going to win two rounds so long as they don't have a you know like some gigantic unforeseen fuck up that we can't possibly imagine but, yeah but wait, wait wait we're still talking about the Leafs here <laughs> yeah right? exactly yeah I know, <laughs> I, we all know the Leafs after round one like game six or something going out to Montreal somehow but 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 I think Hall gives him the best chance man like he's just he's so talented and I feel like he's played for some really shitty teams in the middle of a pandemic the last two years and is just sick and tired of playing for really shitty teams in the middle of a pandemic yeah, that Buffalo stink is so strong. Yeah. I, I I can't get I can't wrap my head around you know the the thought that Taylor Hall is only worth a second and a middling prospect or something no. like that. It's, I I don't think that any results that we've seen out of Buffalo like extrapolated to individuals that are playing there should be taken with any amount of seriousness this year. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as a pure rental, right? Like, you know, that, that, that price is like a first and a top prospect like a couple of years ago. And, you know, people are lining up to pay it. So it's, to me, he's the guy who, um, in in a couple of months when we're looking back it's like oh yeah he's tearing it up with his new team obviously he was going to do that look look at his pedigree look at his history you know um but i i think that um that's the play like get a guy who can push people down the lineup rather than trying to get someone who kind of slots in 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 the top nine but um Going against that grain, um, Scott Lawton is a guy who kind of interests me in, in terms of a guy who like you bring in just to play like as your third line center type of thing. And I would love it. Yeah, I, I know you're a fan, Nick. Um, Jake, I don't know if you've got a, a Scott Lawton take, but feels like um, you know that element that you you kind of want in terms of just a, like a really competitive guy. Um, who who can keep up, right? Like he, he's he's young. He's you know he's not a um, traditional like shutdown guy i guess but i you know i feel like he's got the 
the the right kind of um, yeah absolutely mold. absolutely well let, let me run something by and see what you think so um let's say that the the leafs are the team that lands taylor hall right obviously if it's if we're dealing a first round pick it means that there's retention because the Leafs can't take the salary anyhow. So with the LTIR that's going to land $5 million in space for Fred's salary, let's say that we land Taylor Hall at, you know, whatever it is, like $4 million, right, at the 50% retained. Mm-hmm. That still leaves Lawton's salary, I believe, right, or close to it, right? Yep. And if not, then we can work on a double retention with somebody like Chicago. I mean, there's been talks of that. We know that the Leafs engage with third parties. So we know that they're considering that too. I don't see why it's not both. Like, I think that the Maple Leafs are adding two forwards. I, I think that's the reason that this has all taken so long. Um, my, in, in my mind, what they're looking for is a Hall trade or somebody similar with double retention and then somebody like Scott Lawton. And I would love to have him come play for, for Toronto. I mean, anybody who can work up both ends of the ice, who can anchor a line, like who can really and truly anchor a line like he can, but who can also move to the wing in spots like that's a guy that you want on your team and an underappreciated thing that we haven't mentioned with a guy like Lawton or even a guy like Felino is this team is still short on a bit of that fuck you kind of aspect to their game and I think that was apparent in the playoffs last year like you see a guy like Brendan Gallagher with the Habs getting his teeth smashed out of his face and he's still on the bench with his teeth broken in his mouth and blood pouring out of his mouth, yelling yeah, at the other yeah. team. It's like, you know, it, the Leafs just haven't had that kind of, you know, attitude in the lineup. And I think guys like Simmons and Bogosian and stuff have added to that aspect. But I, I think they're still a bit short on that up front, kind of that fire starter sort of player. I talked about that with like Kadri in the past. I, I think that that's been the, the most noticeable thing after the departure of Kadri is just not having that, guy to drag people into the fight up front and, and I, I think that's where a guy like Scott Lawton even playing a kind of a lesser role on this team c- could be a, a really important addition yeah I, I totally agree I, like uh, so much of what the Leafs bring in that arena is uh, is with like low end guys you know guys, guys like Simmons and, and, and yeah. they, don't, they don't play that much so ultimately like the feeling around the team is still they're exceptionally fast. You know, they sort of remind me of, they kind of play like Montreal. Like they don't have guys that like blow you up, but they play really hard on the puck. They're really good in possession. Like they're, they're super effective in cycling and in breaking cycling and all that kind of stuff. But there's no like real high end snarl, you know? Yeah. And, and I think Lawton would bring a higher end snarl. And now I'm imagining him and Hull on a third line together. And just, <laughs> like, you know, that would be so absurd. And that's like, that's the kind of thing we can do. I mean, there's, there's nothing stopping Kyle Dubas um, besides either creativity or the teams that don't want to deal with them from doing something like this. While we're kind of on the subject of uh, adding perhaps more of a secondary piece, I'll just plug something. I, I wrote at the Leafs Nation along with my pal, Tony Ferrari. Uh, went out earlier today just kind of outlining some of the the Leafs' uh, secondary trade chips as ter- in terms of prospects outside of the the big guys like Robertson, Sandin, and Amirov. So head over to theleafsnation.com and check that out if you're looking for uh, what the Leafs might be willing to move to bring in a player like Scott Lawton. Is there one of those guys, Nick, that you w- would kind of be like most hesitant to to part with or, or you know, more eager to, to kind of um, – 
part with based on you know what you've seen kind of development wise this year and this isn't including like um you know robertson sandine like these are kind of some of the secondary guys yeah well i kind of alluded to it in the article and i think i've mentioned it on the show before but a a guy like williegren who is maybe just outside of that top tier but still a cut above the, the rest of the names in the leafs prospect pipeline I think that he's a guy that the Leafs have to be really careful with in trade discussions just because I think that his his value, his actual value is greater than yeah. his perceived value right now. I, I think like he's just – he's kind of toiled around in the minors for a number of years now with the Leafs. He still isn't even 22 years old, but just kind of a, a, a prospect who maybe some of the shine has worn off of him a little bit because of the fact that he hasn't jumped into a regular NHL job just yet. I I think that he might be sort of like a sell low sort of guy. And I definitely, I'd be, I'd I'd want to be careful including him in any trade talks Um, on the, on the flip side, as much as I love him, a guy like Topi Nimala, who, you know, just kind of wowed the hockey world at the world juniors this winter. And, is maybe outperforming his draft slot at at the current time. I know he's been injured for for the last few weeks uh, and hasn't played in Liga in a while. But he's a kind of guy that might be more of a sell-high candidate Mm -hmm. who, you know, the rest of the league just saw him tear it up and win the best defenseman at the World Juniors. And getting back to sort of that asset management and trading down thing, this is a guy that the, the Leafs, wouldn't have added had they just stood pat in the draft this year. He's a guy that they traded down in the second round this past draft to acquire that third round pick and managed to pick up two prospects rather than one in a similar range. So not only have they fortified their their prospect pipeline in the hopes of having these players contribute to the team in the future, they added additional trade ammo yeah in that by doing that deal because best case scenario a guy like Nimala is still you know three to four years away from from factoring into the the Leafs roster if he's the kind of guy that you can include in a trade to you know say it's a Taylor Hall trade and Nimala is the guy that puts it over the top I think that you know that's definitely something that Dubas would have to consider yeah yeah Yeah. he's just one kind of the guy who um you could almost convince another GM, like, well, we're not going to give you Lilligren or Sandine, but like, we got this guy and he's he's looking pretty good too. But like, he, he was still a third round pick, right? So, you know, it's yeah. it's ultimately probably not going to be, um, uh, you like you said, sell high kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I I think that. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not a prospects guy, so I don't know. I can't. I'm not speaking to the prospects the talent of the prospects. But what I will say is, um, you know, in, in 2018, when we paid John Tavares $11 million a year to come play for the team for seven years at like 28 years old, it was with <laughs> the intention that we would be uh, competing for a Stanley Cup every year of those seven years. Absolutely. And, and that's the way that I look at this. I look at this from a window management perspective. And I say, okay, you know, if, if a guy like Topi is the guy who puts the deal over the top, like Nick says, uh, but you're still holding on to a Robertson and an Amarov and and whoever else um, who fill that forward pipeline. 
you know, you still have a lot of potential there. The, many of many of those players are are surer than Topias. And on top of it all, you have a guy who can help you compete today and next year if you get a, a resign and maybe the year after and so on and so forth um, inside of that John Tavares window. And he's had a resurgence. Tavares has clearly been better for the last you know, whatever, three weeks of the season, like he's a different guy than he was in the first few months. But those stretches where he is uh, not as tough to play against and not putting up points and not necessarily dominating against lesser competition, like those stretchers are going, they're going to get longer, right? Yeah. Like as, as he gets older, he's going to become less and less effective. And so I think it's a, yes, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, because when he becomes less effective, you'll want really good guys on ELCs. But we already have so many, and it's time to jump at this. Yeah, and I think that's where the the difference is between the guys like you know the high end of the of the pool, like Robertson, Amirov, Sandine, even Liljegren. Those are guys that you can sort of you know project seeing them be factors on this team while the Tavares window is still you know, cracked open a yeah. little bit. Whereas a guy like a, a Nimala or a, a Roni Hervinen or, you know, players of that ilk in the system, by the time that they are ready to make an impact at the NHL, is that Tavares window still going to be open? So I, I think that's where the Leafs are probably going to be more willing to, to you know, kind of subtract from that range in their prospect pool. Because like to your point, Jake, they are still going to need those cheap contributors in the coming years, especially with the salary cap staying flat. Yeah, exactly. The ELCs are going to be so important. And like, you know, with teams like Boston and the the guys that really have staying power, like those teams have ELC superstars almost uniformly, Uh, you know, Tampa, Boston, uh, even, even teams like Montreal um, can bring up players and have very frequently have players playing on ELCs who can be contributors. And the Leafs had that, and that is now gone. Like, nobody in Toronto is contributing on an ELC. So um, I think that right now where we're at is, yes, we need to protect the pipeline, but this is the time to win. Like, we went all in. We gave Matthews $11 million, We gave Tavares $11 million, We gave Marner $11 million. That, that wasn't for no reason. Yeah. So if you can trade a guy, maintain the pipeline, and give yourself a, even a, a 2% or a 3% better chance um, – then you got to go with the Daryl yeah. Morey, go all in. Yeah, you got to do it. I think you you, you got to also um, recognize that we will have someone contributing on an ELC when Nick Robertson pots seven goals That's in the right. playoffs That's this right. year. I like the sound um, of that. <laughs> um, here's a random one before we kind of wrap things up. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about forward targets there's been a little bit of chatter obviously about you know do you do something about the goaltending and i I think you know it's pretty clear that that's not going to happen now um any chance you could see like a dark horse defensive move like there are some solid names out there like david savard's been scratched sounds like he's gonna go matthias ekholm's been kicking around there a bit josh manson i saw was on tsn's trade bait board or whatever um like I, I, I feel like they're probably pretty happy with their blue line, and they, and they you know, need need the help up front. But um, any chance that that you could see that happening? I mean, yeah, I, I certainly can. I think that they're prioritizing forward, and it, the you know the the talks are out there. Like we know that uh, from from sources like Elliot and CJ, and a lot of different angles. Uh, 
that the Leafs are looking at forwards. But that doesn't mean that they should close their eyes to any potential deals for defensemen. And I think that being being that it's the case that we're one injury away from Martin Marinson, it would be a good idea to consider it. Like, obviously, we're not in a position where we have a wealth of defensive depth. Like, we've been so lucky this year in Toronto to have no injuries, right? I mean, it, it, has anybody yeah. missed a game to injury on defense besides Sandine? Like, I think Dermot missed two, uh, but that that was it. Right. And Muzzin missed a couple with, right, them with the right, facial right. fracture. Exactly. There. So let's just say for the sake of argument. Not like last no. year when it seemed like everyone missed significant well, and time. And Muzzin goes out in the first round last year and whatever it was, game one or two, and then we lose the series probably because Muzzin's not in the, in the series. And obviously this year the high-end depth is way better. Like, you know, if somebody goes down, there is somebody else who can fill a higher-end role. Yeah. But then you're going to have to have a true seventh come into the game. And I, so I do think they should look at it. I just don't think with Sandine coming back and, and being viable and with Marinson, for all that he does wrong, like he, I mean, he can play. Um, they were slotting Marinson up a, a bit higher than even like number yeah. six last year when they were forced to use him too. So exactly. that, that, that's another thing. Exactly. And even in like in the Washington series, he was playing on like the first and second pairing. I think I was playing like 20 minutes a game. Like, he, you know, that's not where he's meant to be. But I think if you give him eight minutes, like Dermot's seeing and, and you give him some PK or whatever, like he can do just fine in those numbers and he won't kill you. And so I don't, I would not spend a lot of uh, resources on a defenseman, but I certainly think like a Savard or someone like that would be a, a big upgrade. Yeah, well, that, I think that you nailed it there at the end, Jake. It, it, it's a matter of the resources being finite. Uh, yeah, when it comes yeah. to not only trade chips, but just what they're able to do under the salary cap. I think that they, for the most part, they are pretty content with their defensive depth, even after losing Letton in, in the trade to Columbus there. That situation clearly didn't work out. But Rasmus Sandin is a year older now. Timothy Lilligren is a year older now. I'm not convinced that those guys wouldn't be the ones that get turned to ahead of Martin Marinson if, you know... It, it comes to that come playoff time yeah. and they need to insert someone else into the lineup. I think that if they are going to add another defenseman to this group, it's someone who is pretty clearly a, a six or seven. I don't think that the, the Savards or Eckholms of the world are, are guys that the Leafs are going to be really focusing a lot of their, their time on ahead of the trade deadline. Just because I think the, the more glaring holes are, are very clearly up front. And uh, I, I think that's where the focus will remain ahead of the deadline. Yeah. And if I can just say one more thing about this, like I, you use the words glaring holes there. And I think like it's, it's when you look at it that way, yeah, the, the forward group, there are some holes, but like this team is building right now from a position of strength. You know what I mean? This is, we're talking about trades that should put this team over the top right now, yeah. In, yeah. in my opinion. This is the best Maple Leafs team that we've seen in a long time, in my opinion, uh, since 2003 and maybe before. Um, and because of the, the North playoffs, being able to play against Montreal and then probably Winnipeg, I guess, um, this is the best chance they'll ever have to win the cup. Like this is, it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, anything can happen in any series. We lost to Columbus last year. It is what it is, but man, this is a different fucking beast this year, being able to play against two Canadian teams. And I think that we have to look at, okay, this team is very good. There is depth where there needs to be. Let's devote as many resources as possible 
to going over the top here, not to somebody who can maintain, but who can go over the top. And I think if you take that resource, let's say it's a third round pick, or let's say that it's a middling prospect that you were going to spend on a depth defenseman. And instead you use that resource to package it with uh, what you were offering for a Taylor Hall or something like that. You can, you know, take the lead in a, in a trade race. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're right about the playoffs. Like you, you gotta get out of the second round. You, you, you have you to. Have to. Yeah. And, and, and that feeling being that it's the Canadian division and, you know, like you said, very possibly a first round matchup with Montreal. Like that feeling is the closest thing I can imagine to just driving full speed towards a cliff. That, <laughs> like it's yeah, like, indeed. we really got to win both these rounds. Fuck. How's this going <laughs> to go wrong? Um, yeah, it's going to be a rough go, but I do have faith in them. Like, I think we're going to, I mean, I think they're going to win. I, I did. I didn't yeah. know last year, like last year. I also, frankly, I didn't really give a fuck last year. Like last year it felt fake. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm with you there, 100. Uh, yeah, easy yeah, for us to say that now that they didn't win shit too. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if they won the cup, like, we would, like we been, I'd we still be going around honking my horn with a Leafs flag no, out the exactly. window. Yeah, I'd wear like I'd wear the uh, the promo ring on on my finger every day. <laughs> but this, it, it, it really and truly like this feels like we have some sort of normalcy with this uh, with this pandemic league. So now it's like you know we've seen this team play together for 40 games. And also, they're really good. And I just think, like, they look different this year. But fuck, yeah. man. They look different in 2018-19, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, we saw what happened. So and That's what keeps yeah. us all tuning in. Exactly. Yeah, I, I feel great about it going in. Like, it, it does feel like a, a different team. But I also acknowledge that, like, after that Game 4 win, I I felt like we had a full nuclear weapon on our hands. And then <laughs> they just got fucking clowned in Game 5. So... Um, oh yeah, <laughs> it, it can change quick. Um, last one for you, Jake. Uh, I, I think we've kind of agreed that you know Freddie's probably gone after the season, and Campbell pretty clearly is establishing that he's going to get the chance to kind of be the one A. Who's your one B? Um, it's a good question. I well, okay, so injuries being okay, like you know healing permitting, I would look at uh, trade, um, and I would call Arizona. Um, I think that Arizona would be a good trade partner for a couple of reasons. One is that they have some sort of underrated talent. And I don't know that the ownership group is going to have the money if they don't make the playoffs to pay that talent. Um, I think that a guy like Kemper would be perfect. Um, He he gives you like tandem insurance kind of thing. Like he's going to give you 40 games and he could also probably be the starter. Um, But again, that's a, a higher value name. So who knows what that means in terms of a trade return. Alternatively, guys that I've thought about before, um, Saros, um, thought about, I, everybody hated me for it, but I thought about quick for, for a couple Ooh. minutes before Twitter <laughs> told me that I was the dumbest guy on earth. Um, I just like, I, I, there's not much out there, right? So that's why I would look at the guys that have proven to be, uh, you know, effective many years in a row, three, four years in a row. Kemper serves that bill. Um, Saros serves the bill guys like that and probably trade and that would perfectly open up a slot for frederick anderson to sign a long-term deal in the home of his longtime pal austin matthews (laughs) and what a fucking field day we would have with that that's right we we trade for arizona's goaltender 
Freddie signs in Arizona. Three years left on the Matthews deal. How you doing? Have at a Toronto media. Enjoy it. <laughs> Three-year treat. Simmons article, the, the Simmons article comes out three weeks later about uh, Matthews moving away. But, I, you know, I just think, like, I thought they were going to make a trade with Kemper and then the injury happened. Like, I thought that Anderson for Kemper was something that might actually happen. It just – it made sense. Um, Anderson was comfortable in Arizona. It's like a place that he spent some time. You know, Kemper's a better goalie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it, just made, it made sense. But at the end of the day, I just think uh, – I, I there's not much out there in FA. And with goaltending specifically, like, what we know about FA, I think we can all agree, is, like, you pay too much, right? That's the rule. Yeah. Um, with goaltending, it's the one position you don't want to pay too much for. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And just to kind of wrap up the the question a little bit, I think like this front office doesn't have any plans of spending $14 million in the net the way that Montreal has. I think that they recognize that it's kind of been a position that's sort of been an inefficiency throughout the entire league for a long time. Uh, and with the volatility of the position, I don't see this this management group committing any large amount of term or dollars to to another goaltender. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I like it. Platoon City, let's go. Uh, yeah, platoons work, man. Platoons work. Like they went. Platoons win in the Jennings all the time, right? It's like it's worked in Boston, it's worked in Montreal, it's worked in Anaheim. I mean. It's and, and it's like, I mean, goalies are predictable, but they're also sort of voodoo, right? Like, I mean, Bobrovsky was the best goalie in the league for four years and then makes a $10 million a year contract and sucks ass. Yeah. Like, it's you just, you can't predict them beyond a couple of years where they play a good stretch or a bad stretch. Yeah, and especially now, like, it's the game is so fast. The shooters are so good. Like, I, I can't imagine how much tougher it is on the body than it was even, even like 10 years ago, right? So, yeah, it's it's ridiculously tough on the body. Yeah, just I mean, just like thinking about that briefly, like, uh, I mean, these guys are going through, you know, six days on the ice, probably a bunch of off ice training, like their muscles do not have the time to recover. Like they're they're probably dealing with repetitive tendonitis, like just like chronic tendonitis in their in their um, wrists and, and legs and things like that. I just I can't imagine that being a goaltender is a fun job in 2021 <laughs> and these I, I don't think that they have uh, the ability to play for as long as they used to with how quickly the game moves like the human body is just simply not meant to move back and forth in different split formations that quickly like it's it's not we're not built for that like we haven't evolved to become athletes that can deal with that repeated strain and so like every goaltender eventually falls to the the groin injury or whatever, you know, like Hashik fell to it. Anderson fell to it. Uh, Thomas fell to it. They all, Price fell to it. They all eventually do. And that's why goalies, like, if it's up to me, I'm looking at a guy who has good underlying numbers, who unlike Fred Anderson has a really good high danger save percentage and, and medium danger save percentage, um, who's relatively young and looking to find out if, like I'm asking the goalie coach, I think Steve Breer is still the coach in, in Toronto. Yeah. Asking him if he thinks he can work with the goaltender. Um, and I'm finding somebody like a Corpus Allo or, or who knows, somebody who's relatively young who might be. Maybe it's Vaney Vevelina. May, maybe it is. And maybe it's one of the other guys that we've drafted, right? Like maybe it's that Archer. I, can't, I don't remember his last name. <laughs> like Oxyama. Yeah, there you go. Maybe it's him. <laughs> like we just don't know. But I think that um, with that, you know, and speaking with a goalie coach, looking at the movements, things like that, like 
you can kind of tell like, okay, either a goalie's got some raw skill or he doesn't. And if you can work on the mental game, like with Campbell, you got found gold. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, he has been gold and it's going to be a really exciting stretch. Um, I fully expect him to keep stopping 95% of the pucks. And, uh, I think that we all, <laughs> no chance that'll change. Uh, we're all on board with that. Uh, Jake, really appreciate you coming on, man. This was a lot of fun. Um, goalies injuries lots lots of really good uh, topics to get into and, and glad that we could do it yeah thanks man this is a blast thanks boys appreciate uh appreciate the conversation appreciate you guys having me on today and, and before we let you go jake um leafs have the sends right next on uh saturday and then the the habs monday can we get a prediction yeah well so <laughs> campbell's got the 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 record coming up right yeah on Saturday, like I think, well, they're, they're going to lose. That's my prediction. They're, they're going to lose. But you know what I'll say? If they win, I'm, I'm taking five two Leafs. <laughs> All right. That's what I wanted to hear. That's right. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Thanks a lot, Jake. All right. Take care, boys.